If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John is near the very back of your Bibles. And we are picking up again here in chapter 4. It's been a little bit of time since we've been together in the book of 1 John. But this evening we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the spirit of, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we ask that you would use your word in our lives that you would convict us of the truth, that you would encourage us to love and to obedience, and that in all things you would point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. How do you know something is true? Or perhaps better put, how do you know that something is genuine? That it is what it purports to be. Because there are no shortage of fakes out in the world today, are there? I still remember from when I was a very young boy that my mother had a very unusual way, not exactly pleasant, of telling whether earrings were made of 24 karat gold. It's because she had an allergic reaction to certain alloys. And if she bought earrings that she thought were 24 karat gold and she put them in her ears, by the afternoon there were great problems around those spots. They would be irritated and itching and swollen and red. And she could tell, no matter what was on the label, whether it was real or not. You know, it used to be that you could tell if a diamond was real by taking it and scratching a very hard substance. Because fake diamonds would fall apart or break or would not score the substance. But now this is harder because there are man-made substances that are virtually as hard, if not harder, than diamonds. Sometimes it is difficult to determine if something is genuine. 
And that's not just true of metals and jewels. It's true of the truth of spiritual things as well. And that's what John puts before us this evening. He tells us that we must be discerning about those who teach, those who say things about Jesus and about God and about His truth. And so this evening in these six verses, I'd like us to see what John has for us about discernment. The first thing we will see is that John describes a need for a test. A need for a test. And then secondly, he describes the test. It is a doctrinal test. And then the third thing that we see that flows from the test, as all of our students know, is a grading. But here it's a spiritual grading. The need for a test, a doctrinal test, and a spiritual grading. Let's begin then by looking at the beginning of chapter 4. John comes and speaks to us and to the church and he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, what John is encouraging us is that we as Christians must have discernment. Discernment is not something that only some Christians need. It's something for each and every one of us, especially as we live in a world that is surrounded by fakes and lies. There is so much deception both outside and inside the church that we must be aware of the truth. Because you see, the reality is, being a Christian is intellectual. You must use your mind. Now that doesn't mean you need to be an intellectual to be a Christian. But it does mean you must use your mind. You must think. Being a Christian is not about merely emotions and impressions. There is a truth that must be believed. And if we look out, in spite of what the world says, Christianity is actually a very reasonable, rational explanation about the state of the world. I know that you are used to seeing in the newspapers and on the internet and on TV cries against Christianity as being pie in the sky, unrealistic, not rational or reasonable. But it seems to me that the truth is the exact opposite. Because the world cannot explain the world as it is. Have you ever talked to someone who rejects God and the scriptures and asked them the simple question, well, then how does everything come to be? How do you know about it? You see, there is no explanation the world can give for the origins. All they can do is simply speak of more millions upon millions of years ago and of bangs that are bigger and bigger and bigger. But they don't say what happened in the beginning. What started the bang? How does matter get here? How do we have rationality in people? There is no explanation. And the world has even less explanation for why the world is the way it is. Why is there so much sin in the world? 
You see, what winds up happening is the world just simply denies the depravity of man. It denies that there are problems in the world. It pretends that everything is all right when it so obviously is not. But Christianity faces the world exactly as it is and it explains why there is sin and evil in the world and what the solution is for this. You see, being a Christian means using your mind. It is not enough to be spiritual. You know, there are all kinds of people who are spiritual today. They don't go to church. They don't read the scriptures. They're not sure about Jesus. But they're spiritual in some sort of way. I'm not sure what that means. Whenever I hear that, I must admit that the first thing that I think of is the television show Touched by an Angel. In which there's no real truth Everything is sort of vague and amorphous, and we try to tie everything up in a happy way within an hour. Others think about spirituality in terms of someone like Oprah, where there is no hard truth to be believed, where things and opinions change upon the day, but somehow she's an authority on what it means to be spiritual. Now, John is concerned for you and for me that we understand this and we use our minds and we can see this right from the very beginning of the chapter. He calls us beloved, those who are dear to him. And what he says is, not everything that you have heard about Jesus is true. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Because I think oftentimes we live in a world that is so hostile to Jesus and the Bible and church that anytime anyone is willing to say anything about Jesus, we hope we can find something positive in it. We just want people to recognize Jesus. We want people to talk about Jesus. But you see, what John says is not everything you hear about Jesus is true. What you have to do is think critically about Jesus and you have to discern what people are teaching about him. We have to discover who the spirits are because there are many spirits but not all of the spirits are from God. Now how do we discern what are good spirits and what are wicked spirits? Now, this is not a Hollywood production, so we don't go by the color of their robes or by even the pleasantness of their speech. The Bible tells us that Satan himself can come robed as an angel of light. The way we discern who are the spirits who come from God, John says, is we look at what they are saying. This shows us whether they are from God or not. And this is not merely a theoretical test because it does have consequences. You see, we are to test these spirits to determine whether they are from God. We are to prove them just like you would prove gold in the furnace. Just like you would prove whether something is sturdy by standing upon it. And in doing this test, in proving them, we can see who the false and true spirits are. It is the testing that shows the difference. 
Because you see, the Holy Spirit is not the only active spirit in the world today. This is a grave problem in the modern Western church. It is easy to think that when something exciting happens, it must be from the Holy Spirit. He must be involved. He must be at work. Simply because something that makes us happy or that is exciting is before us. Now before we jump on that bandwagon, I want to remind you of a story you know well. It's a story of Moses before Pharaoh. You all may recall that I think my favorite film of all time is The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. And I love this scene as Moses comes before Pharaoh and to show his power, the power of God, he casts his staff on the floor and it turns into a serpent. But then what's the next thing that happens? The Egyptian magicians cast their staves on the floor and what happens to their staves? They turn into serpents also. And the Bible gives us No reason to believe that this was a parlor trick, that it was not true. It is much, much more likely that this was the work of Satan trying to defeat the messenger of God. Now we also know that God's messenger defeats Satan's messengers, that Moses' staff swallows the magician's staves. But I want you to understand, if we were to look at that in a vacuum, if someone were to turn a staff into a serpent in the middle of a worship service, we might think it was the Spirit of God at work. Because it's exciting and it's miraculous. And we would be wrong because it would be from Satan. There have always been false spirits. As a matter of fact, because there are false spirits... God has given to His people in the Old Testament tests to discern whether prophets are true or false. The first test we find in Deuteronomy chapter 18, in which Moses tells the people of God that you can tell whether a prophet is a prophet of God because he speaks and his words come to pass. Now, if we held modern so-called ministers to this test, there would be far fewer televangelists. Because the test went something like this. You make a prediction. If it doesn't come to pass, we stone you. End of story. You don't get to reinterpret the vision. You don't get a mulligan. You don't get best two out of three. You have to be 100% correct. But there's even more than that. Because you could say to yourself, well, perhaps it would be possible if for no other reason, by by dumb luck, that someone could predict something that would come to pass. Or maybe they could make so general a prediction, kind of like the way these charlatans do in auditoriums today. They say, "I, I feel that someone in the audience is having difficulty in their marriage. If you're having difficulties in your marriage, please stand up. Oh, yes, it's you. It's you. If someone is able somehow to still be true, there's another test. And that test is found in Deuteronomy 13. And that test is, even if the prophet correctly predicts what comes to pass, if he speaks against God's word, or he leads the people toward idols, he is a false prophet. 
You see, God's people were protected against false prophets. We have a wonderful illustration of how this works in 1 Kings 22. Ahab is trying to convince King Jehoshaphat of Judah to go to war with him. And Jehoshaphat says, well, I'm not sure if I should do this. We need to inquire of the Lord. And Ahab says, no problem. I got 400 prophets on staff. Come on in. And all of them parade through and say, this would be the best thing since sliced bread. You have got to do this. The Lord will prosper you. You will defeat the enemies. Now, Jehoshaphat is not that naive. He senses that they're on the king's payroll. And he says, are you sure there's not anybody here who's a prophet of the Lord? And Ahab says, well, there's one, but I hate him. All he ever does is bring me bad news. And and Jehoshaphat says, well, bring him out. And it's a prophet by the name of Micaiah. And at first, Micaiah mocks Ahab and Jehoshaphat. In sarcastic tones, he says exactly the same thing. Oh, sure, go off to war. It's going to go wonderfully. And he's so sarcastic that Ahab looks at him and he says, Haven't I told you you're only supposed to tell me what the Lord tells you? Now think about that. Ahab, the wicked Baal worshiper, chastising the prophet to only tell him what God has given him. And then... Micaiah says what the Lord has for this. He says, you will be defeated and you will be slain. Of course, Ahab doesn't like this news, so he responds by having Micaiah arrested. And as he's being dragged from the palace, Micaiah says, if you come back here alive, then everyone will know I'm wrong, because you won't. And of course he doesn't. So it's not a matter of numbers. It's not even a matter of authority. The spirits need to be tested because Satan is always seeking to deceive and to mock and to twist. And these false prophets are out, John says. They have gone out and they have gone out for a reason. You know, they're called false prophets Because they have a little bit of truth in them. The word here for false in the Greek is a word that you know well. It's pseudo. Sort of like a prophet. Almost could be confused with a prophet. Has some elements of a prophet in him. And you see, the reason they're called false prophets is that they can deceive others. They have enough truth to deceive. And John has been talking about this. He says they went out and if... We don't know why they went out. Then we'll wind up going out also. So we need to be careful. So how do we know who's a true and a false prophet? A true and a false spirit. John brings a test. A doctrinal test. And it is a true confession. He says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. And the by this points us to what is to follow. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You see, we can recognize the Spirit of God. We are not left to guess whether they are right or wrong. There is a simple test, and every spirit passes this test is one of God. And those who cannot pass this test are not. And the test 
centers on the person of Jesus. The confession is that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the one sent by God. And that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh. And the verb tense there is a perfect tense that implies to us that Jesus has come in the flesh and he remains in the flesh for all eternity. He doesn't set it aside. And this is important because you see, the false prophets were saying in the church in this day that Jesus was not truly man. That he only seemed to take on flesh. That the divine being only lighted on a man and then left before the crucifixion. You see, the early church was racked with problems with those who taught falsely that Jesus was not truly man. But of course, Jesus must be truly man. The atonement depends on it. He must be man to bleed and to die. He must be man to obey the law in all of its entirety. He must be man to know our suffering. He must be man to be in all points like we are, except sin. Paul says that this is at the center of the gospel. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. This is the true confession. If you want to know if a spirit or a prophet is of God, you see what they say about Jesus. Do they say that Jesus is the Messiah? Not a good teacher, not a philosopher, but the Messiah. Do they say that he has come in the flesh, not as a figment of someone's imagination, not an ideal to be looked up to, but that he had flesh and bone? That shows that the Spirit is of God. Because, of course, the Antichrist confession is the exact opposite. (coughs) Every spirit that does not confess Jesus and that is Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the Christ come in the flesh, is not from God. (coughs) Now this is important, because that's true no matter what else they say. No matter how else they praise Jesus, everything else is just a smokescreen. Let me give you one illustration. If you've ever had the opportunity to speak with some Jehovah's Witnesses at your door, you will note that they will say all sorts of wonderful things about Jesus. Except that he's God come in the flesh. They'll talk about how wise he was, how gentle he was, how helpful he was, how compassionate he was. But they will not confess that he is the Christ come in the flesh. Everything else that they throw up is a smokescreen designed to deceive you. Anyone who does not confess that Jesus is the Christ incarnate is not from God. That is the spirit of Antichrist. That is the spirit of against Christ. And it comes from those who would lead us astray. It comes from the world. And the world hates Jesus, doesn't it? It was in the world then, and it's in the world now. Well, how do we then grade the test? 
How do we know if we pass? There is, John concludes here in verses 4 through 6 with spiritual grading. First, he speaks in verse 4 of the overcomers. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, I want you to notice these three categories link up with pronouns. You in verse 4. They in verse 5. We in verse 6. And it gives us three sorts of categories of those who get grades on this spiritual test. He now begins to talk about passing the test to the overcomers. And he begins by calling them little children. Now, this is interesting. This is not the first time we've seen this phrase. Seven times in this letter, John uses the phrase little children. And every time that he uses it, it precedes something that he wants to emphasize to them. That he wants them to remember, to take to the bank, as it were. He does this to impress something upon them. And what he says is, because you confess Jesus, you are from God. And the skeptics can't take that away. You are not deceived. You know it is an intellectual battle. And because of this, you have overcome those who are false. Now, how do we do that? Do we do that in our own strength? No. We do it, John says, by the strength of God. He who is in us is more powerful than he who is in the world. And after all, who is he who is in us but the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of spirits. He is stronger than the enemy. And he can overcome those who are false. You see, if we are able to pass this test, it is a revealing of who we are. The second set of people that John talks about are the worldly. This is the they. And they're characterized by where they come from. They are from the world, he says. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Because they're from the world, they believe what the world believes. (coughs) Now, notice, this is a revealing of who they are. It's not a forcing of them to be a certain type of person. Now, I don't know that our teens would like to admit it, but it is true that when you take a test in school, it reveals what you know. How well you know the material will be revealed by how well you perform on the test. You don't learn new material while you're taking the test. You don't try and trick the test. You know, I would not advise anyone who's ever going to take the SAT or the ACT to try to randomly fill in bubbles to try and trick the test. That will not get you very far. The test reveals what you know and who you are. And this is what happens to they who are of the world. The test reveals that they are of the world. They are antichrist. They cannot confess that Jesus is God. And what really comes down to is they really want no part of God at all. They believe what the world believes. The third and final grouping are characterized by the pronoun 
We. Who are the we? Now, on the one hand, it could be everyone who's in the church. But I think it may be something else, a little bit more exclusive, as it were. Because what I really think is this third group is, if we continue with our analogy of a test, they are the answer key to the test. You see, they are the apostles. They are the ones who know Jesus Christ and whom God has used to write His Word and His truth. And so we may not be able to speak to the Apostle John tonight, but we have His truth. We have the Word of the we. And what this means is, we must have our noses in our Bibles if we expect to pass the test. Those who know God, listen to God, and trust the Bible. And so when you come across someone who claims to be speaking good things about Jesus, but has nothing good to say about the Bible, you should be immediately suspect. Because God speaks in His Word of who Jesus is, and of this great confession. Those who know God, trust the Scriptures. And those who do not know God, ignore the Bible. And that can be describing those who are spiritual but have never studied the Scriptures. It can be those in the church that think they've gone beyond a study of the Bible and the Scriptures. It can be those in the world who figure that they've figured everything out and don't need the Scriptures. But you see, the truth is, the doctrinal content of the Bible, the doctrinal truth spoken, confirms the status of the prophet. It is not the other way around. Just because someone claims to be a prophet does not mean what they speak is truth. But when someone speaks truth, that is evidence that they are a true prophet. You see, John speaks to the church in his day because it was racked with heresy. It was racked with opposition from within and without. And we've come several thousand years in time, but not much in terms of way of progress in this. There are still those who claim to be in the church who refuse the Bible's truths, who refuse to not only study the Bible, but to agree with and believe the Bible. There are those who claim to be followers of Jesus, but yet do not say that He is the Christ and that He has come in the flesh. They have some other sort of Jesus that they want you to follow. And what John says to you and to me is we need to be discerning. We need to have a test. We need to understand that God's truth matters. And once we understand that, we could be true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for this discernment that you have given to us through your Apostle John. Lord, we ask that you would make us a discerning people. That we would long to know Jesus. To know more about Him. To understand His Word. Lord, speak to us through your Word. That we might know. That we might understand. And that we might believe. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.